there. Welcome to the 139th OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni. Instead of sitting in the cupping room at World Cup, we are in an office located somewhere inside the Music Millennium Building on East Burnside, where I'm going to talk to Terry Courier, who owns the joint. It's comforting to come to Music Millennium, not only because you can find any kind of music there is, but because it's still here, unlike so much of Portland. It's here. Terry's here. It's coming up on their 49th anniversary, Thursday, March 15th. Terry and I did one of these a little while back, and we both enjoyed it. Just catching up on what's going on, and but mostly two guys sitting around bullshitting about music. Let's go. Terry. Hey, Tom. How you doing? <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't do this for anybody else. Everybody else has to come to the coffee shop. <laughs> oh, you, you, don't, you don't like getting stuffed in a little room in the back of our store? It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> Get that a little bit closer to you. That's good. Um, uh, yeah, so, so I, but for you, for you, I would do this. Thanks for coming over to my place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't get you a cup of coffee either. <laughs> no, the conversation will be good with yes. us. So, yeah, I remember the last time we did this, we finished and went. Geez, we could have gone on for a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you get two music people in a room, they can talk for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got the forty ninth anniversary of Music Millennium coming up. Yeah, March fifteenth will be our forty ninth anniversary. Uh, the store opened in 1969 at yeah. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> and the first song played in the store was All Too Much by the Beatles off the Yellow Submarine album. But you weren't there, were you? I wasn't no. there. You, you... In 1969, I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean you, you couldn't have been in a record store. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started working in a record store in 1972, so uh -huh. I'm on my 46th year now. Wow. How is that possible? I don't know. Where did the years go? Jeez. So what are you going to do here? What's going to be the, the what, what, what's uh, happening? Uh, for, it's probably for... going to be a little subdued. I wait six o'clock that night. We're going to have cake, and we're yeah. going to give away door prizes to people that come down. Uh -huh. And there's going to be discount coupons for everybody that comes in the store that night. Uh -huh. um, but it's going to be low key. Because next year, next year, yeah, is our fiftieth anniversary, yeah. and I think we'll we'll pull out all the stops for that one. Yeah, yeah, but you still have some stops you can pull out for this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do a lot of stuff here all the time, so sure. It it it's sometimes hard to come up with something that's going to trump that. Uh, doing so many live music events in the store. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what you get for being in business so long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do have a, a lot of great music coming up, and especially from the local artists. Uh -huh. um, we're going to do a Casey Neal uh -huh. uh, record release event in the store. Uh -huh. uh, in April, we're going to have a Laura Beers event in the store. Wow. And all the way to May, we've got things scheduled out with going to be a brand new... Yeah. Horse Feathers album. 
Oh. You know, I think. Remember when when we we tried shooting video for for a, a period of time for for your live your live events. Oh here? yeah, we were going to broadcast that. And I believe one of the ones we did was Laura Veers. Laura's amazing. Yeah. I mean, she's she's one of the musical treasures that that are here. Uh, last year, she actually uh, won an award with the Oregon Music Hall of Fame mm-hmm. for the Nico Case. Katie Lang, Laura Beer's album oh, that yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, uh, uh, so, how you doing? Oh, you know we're 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 doing okay. You know, yeah. every day that the door opens up out front is a good day. <laughs> um, you know, it's it it's amazing that uh, there's not too many record stores around the country that have been able to persevere through all the changing times of the industry uh-huh. and uh we feel fortunate that we have um it's been tough sometimes but we also have uh a very supportive uh customer base uh-huh. here in town that are that really help us stay in business yeah well all you know the, when there's so many Large record stores that have closed all over the country, you're still going on. And, wh- I mean, why is that? Uh, you know, I didn't want to do anything else. So <laughs> I really had to dig in deep when when times were tough, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and put the nose to the grindstone, which seems like I do that all the time. Every so day. <laughs> it must be kind of challenging all the time. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when the when the record industry was doing really well and yeah um in the 70s yeah you could open up a record store you didn't even have to have any business sense as long (laughs) as you knew about music you could make it work because through the 70s the the music industry started exploding and each year it was doing better and better and better but then when it came to the end of the 70s and things started tapering off yeah um People that didn't have that business sense started going out of business. And there's been a number of those times over the years where the industry has went up and went down. Um, You know, in the, in, especially around 1984, uh, with the CD being introduced into the marketplace for a couple years, it Uh started to take off. And a lot of people started replacing their, collections with cds so we saw another great growth period in the middle 80s um Mm -hmm. going up into the 90s we also saw the death of vinyl at that time (laughs) and that was unfortunate but part of the death of vinyl was forced by the record labels and record distribution companies at that time yeah a great deal of record retail was done in stores in shopping centers across the United States, uh-huh. stores like Music Land. And um, what happened was they had um, vinyl and cassettes in their stores. Yeah. And with the expansion of CDs, they didn't have room to put the CDs in uh, unless they took out one of the other configurations. Yeah. And the industry pretty much told them this said, CDs is the configuration of the future. Uh-huh. Vinyl is going to go away. So there was a mass exodus. Uh, stores like 
Music Land, which, mm-hmm. you know, at that time probably had 1,500 stores alone, yeah. sent all their vinyl back. So oh. all of a sudden you saw uh, national statistics on vinyl plumaging. Yeah. And um, by the end of the 80s, most of the major labels weren't even making vinyl on new releases anymore. And that forced the vinyl customer to have to go to the CD because they got tired of going to the Bonnie Red section and looking for the new Bonnie Red on vinyl and not finding Uh it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, General Motors and and, uh, forcing out streetcars. Definitely so. Definitely so. And and forcing uh, uh, cities to, to go with buses instead, which are... I think is just about equivalent. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know, because oh. buses are ugly and and they're noisy and they smell bad. And streetcars were sweet and 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 and, gl- and you, you could glide on rails, you know. And then you know they were gone. My grandfather was a streetcar motorman in Baltimore. Oh, wow. so I, I have a <laughs> I have a thing. I mean, it's great to have a city still out there like San Francisco that's yeah. still supports the streetcar because it is a yeah. great form of yeah. transportation well we got our streetcar here we got them here yeah i mean uh a lot of major cities re- realized it much later that it is a good form of transportation because especially with the 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 population growing yeah and the amount of cars on the street where do you put them all and how do you get them right. around town and yeah. where do they park right so streetcars make a lot of sense yeah yeah. Um, so, is the resurgence of vinyl is that is that a factor or is it just like a coolness factor? Uh, it is a factor. You know, as vinyl has increased, CD sales have decreased. Um, a lot of different factors have come into play with that. Part of it is, you know, people streaming and yeah. doing digital. But some of those CD customers have reverted to being vinyl customers again uh-huh, uh-huh. especially some of the the older customers who kind of buried their albums in the basement right and right. started buying cds um but a great deal of the the vinyl sales come from a youth marketplace uh-huh. um teens 20s 30s yeah um a lot of them still stream, and, mm-hmm. you know, streaming is like their radio station, right. you know, right. and they find out about things, and the really cool stuff, they come down and buy on vinyl. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Today, vinyl isn't cheap like it, it was no. back then. Right. I can remember, you know, people were saying vinyl was too expensive when you could get it for $9.99. <laughs> <laughs> I have a uh, I, I I've got I have some LPs from when I was a teenager that uh, the price was uh, three two ninety nine, three ninety nine. There was that time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What was your first record? Well, I didn't grow up listening to the radio, oh, and there you go. so I really didn't buy any records until I was about sixteen. Oh. And the first two records I bought, album wise. Uh-huh were uh, Cruisin' with Ruben and the Jets by Frank Zappa, (laughs) Uh and were only in it for the money by Frank Zappa. (laughs) Now, the first two singles I bought around that same time, one was 
Gene by Oliver. Whoa. And the other one was Pushing Too Hard by The Seeds. Oh, man. <laughs> You're pushing too hard. Pushing, You're pushing, pushing on me. Have you ever heard the residents version of that? Oh, my <laughs> word. My word. Talk about the residents. They're going to be coming to town here in April. I, I know. And, and, and Hardy Fox has revealed himself. As being one of the residents, he's, he has a you know he, he he's, he's a presence online now as Hardy Fox of the residents. It's amazing. Wow. The funny thing was, when I not long after I moved to Portland in ninety seven, I got a, I, I, there was an early web magazine, and I got a, I, I got a, an assignment um, to interview one of the residents. So I don't know, right? You know, I'm not going to get to talk to one of the residents. I I thought, and. Uh, uh, I, I, but so I got a hold of somebody there at Ralph Records, and they turned me on to this guy, Hardy Fox, and I did this interview, and something sounded really familiar <laughs> when I was talking to him on the phone. And I went back. I don't know if you remember um, N- Night Music. The, oh, yeah. David Sandworth. And they had a, an episode with... Um, the residents and Conway Twitty, they were playing together. <laughs> and, but 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 they also did residents also, also did a version of Hound Dog. Oh wow! <laughs> and there was a little recitation at the beginning by one of them, right? And uh, so I I had kept a, a you know a, a video cassette of it, you know, because I I, covered, I recorded all the all the night night music because they were so great, and and I put it on. And I went, holy shit, <laughs> that's him. Wow! I was talking, and you know, and at that point in time, twenty to twenty years ago, to have said that you had talked to one of the residents was like, whoa! That's <laughs> a major thing. <laughs> um, in the residents' documentary, yeah, they they mentioned Music Millennium as one of the early supporters of the band, uh-huh. and I can remember coming to Music Millennium in nineteen seventy two, and coming through the store. And they had a whole bin sitting over there of Meet the Residents albums in the store. I go, this looks too cool. So I had to grab one of those and buy those and go home and go, wow, this is wild. What is this? Yeah, I know. I first discovered them, um, I guess, uh, um, uh, uh, Penn. What's Penn's first name? Penn and Teller. Oh, Penn and Teller? Penn Gillette. Penn Penn Gillette, Gillette, right. I was listening to the radio one time, and it was uh, a Pacifica station out of out of D.C. and and all and they were and I heard this weird music, and then a disc jockey came on, and said that he was being held. He was they had locked the door, and he was forced to be to play this music. <laughs> and, 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 meanwhile, it, it was just a record. I mean, and you know, eventually I bought that record, but it's Pendulet playing the music of the residents, you know, and, and he's he's pretending he's the DJ. So that's, so that's how I get introduced to him. And it took me a while to catch on that it wasn't really, that it, that it was fake, you know, because he really did a good job of, of <laughs> convincing you. <laughs> my, my. I was reading an article the other day and the, the residents or a spokesman for the yes. residents uh, was talking about five influential records to them. Uh-huh. And one of those was James Brown. Uh, and, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. Well, they did. They, they did their James Brown tunes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the residents. Oh, there you go. 
uh, one of my photographers, a great guy, uh, and, uh, and just a great photographer. I sent him to shoot the residents one time, and he hated them. It was <laughs> hilarious. It was very funny, uh, and he's a very outspoken guy. And, and he he he, did, he shot this he shot the show, and there were great pictures. But I was like, oh man, I'm not going to send him to shoot the residents anymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh man. So we got a new Decemberist record coming out really? week after next. Uh, that's, uh-huh. that's a big deal for this city. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so is Portugal the Man winning the Grammy. Oh, uh, that, that, those guys I were so happy for. Uh-huh. Uh, they used to live in a house just blocks away from the store here. Uh-huh. And they've always been really supportive of the store. In fact, last April on Record Store Day, they played the store, mm-hmm. and they made a special... Uh, 45 on cardboard uh, <laughs> that you could only get at Music Millennium on wow. Record Store Day that for sale, and that that was pretty spectacular. But <laughs> you know, they, the the fact that they have stuck to what they're doing and they have evolved from album to album, uh-huh. but they haven't tried to follow anybody's step. They're not trying to fit any focus of genres or anything out there. Mm-hmm. They're just making music be- the way they would want to make music. Mm-hmm. And they succeeded with with a hit. And you and that's that song is everywhere. Feel it everywhere. Still, yeah. Yeah. I think I heard it on television the other day. I don't know if it was behind a commercial, but it was it was something like that, you know. Yeah. Or, or somebody was using it, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, on a talk show or whatever. But you know that that song's everywhere now. You know? Uh, the the whole album is really good, but that yeah. song in particular is very infectious. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. So, full Decemberists. The the full Decemberists, all the band. Yeah, all? yeah. They, you know. Um, They've done a lot of side projects and things. Uh-huh. Uh, the last record they did, uh, Offerax, uh, uh-huh. actually was one of my top ten records from last year on my personal list. Uh-huh. Which, uh, we, which we always publish. <laughs> <laughs> but they, di- they did this album with the singer Olivia Cheney, uh-huh. and they did folk songs from 200-plus years ago, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it sounded amazing. Um, the she's a great singer, but just the melding of their voices and instrumentation mm-hmm. with her really made this thing a yeah. home run. Wow, that's great! That's great. Uh, are they going to come in here? Uh, we tried to get them, but they're going to be yeah. so busy. Yeah, and what I mean, ideally, we tried to get them for the day before the release came right. out because yeah. that was our 49th anniversary, ah. but. Well, when you're on a major label and they start hooking you up with late night TV yeah, and, and yeah, various yeah. media events, uh, you kind of get pulled in a lot of directions. So it didn't work out. That's too bad. That's too bad. Well, you know, it's good. It's good for us. It's good for everybody. You know. It's yeah. Just the, the Decembers have a have another hit. Can't hurt. Well, I mean, uh, the local music scene is still very vibrant here, and yeah. there's. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's going on, and you know it's always great to see somebody succeed mm-hmm. from our marketplace and yeah. and expose their music to everybody else around the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Portland doesn't have the the buzz that it used to have. No, um, it it musically it doesn't. It still has that buzz out there because people keep moving here, right? Uh, and left. Yeah, I know. But um, <laughs> for for a moment in time there, um, the Portland music scene was on the radar around the world, and um, I mean for good reason. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't changed. Um, we're just not on the radar as high right now. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, those national. Well, for one thing, you know, I, I'm not sure that national music publications have very much influence anymore. No, um, you know, and so people have to discover their music, you know, other ways. And I don't know. Um, I, I'm kind of. Uh, I I just don't think that uh, a lot of people want to read about music anymore. I agree with you. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, there's this uh, artist that moved to Portland a couple of years ago named Steve Barton. Uh-huh. And uh, he was in his band from the 80s called Translator. Uh-huh. And he just put out a three-CD set of brand-new music. Yeah. And each CD is completely different than the next. And he got himself a publicist, and he sent it out there. And he's getting incredible press. Mm-hmm. The press that he's getting, had it been the 1980s, was sell him a whole bunch of records. Right. But it's really not meaning a whole lot wow. right now. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, for for people who write about music, you know, I mean, I, I you know, people still do make a living at it. I mean, our I think the guy who's our best music writer, Bob Ham. Um, uh, is still out there and is still writing for everybody. No, and, he's pretty amazing. I read yeah. an article the other day that kind of uh, gave an overview of the PDX Jazz Festival that just happened this last yeah. couple weeks, mm-hmm. and he nailed it. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I was out at about fourteen of the hundred shows. Yeah, and um, just those fourteen shows alone. He nailed it. Right. No, he's ter- he's tremendous. He put a post up um, the other day on Facebook uh, that he had he had f- finally interviewed Joan Baez. Wow. And how happy he was. And I just wrote back, well, yeah, I remember I, I, I did a TV interview with her under a tree uh, uh, at, at that park under the St. John's Bridge. Ah, uh, is that when she came out for Dave Carter? Yes. Uh, she came out for uh, Dave Carter. Yes, yeah. yes. And that was... That was, I mean, to, to to interview Joan Baez under a tree is like doesn't get any better than that. I'm no, sorry. no, no, no. That's know? that's the perfect setting, you know. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> if I was to say, "Hey, where where do you want to do this interview at?" Yeah, <laughs> under a tree. Because <laughs> <laughs> although I came out of the whole rock and roll, because I was, you know, when I was, I guess if you don't talk, talk about '56 being, you know, being the big breakthrough in rock and roll, I was ten. You know, I was ten years old. And uh, and I, I and I was I was totally into it and you know and then I don't know maybe ooh, when I was maybe a s- junior in high school that's when the whole folk era started you know and I had every I mean to to get a new Joan Baez album on Vanguard man that was like the coolest thing you could you could do you know uh, and, and you uh, were you were on the East Coast so you yeah. were, you were close yeah. to the epicenter of it all oh yeah 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 i was a folk singer 
Oh, wow. <laughs> a bad one. <laughs> but I, I, I was in a folk duo. We played coffee coffee houses and stuff. <laughs> my, my. <laughs> we did a lot of Ian and Sylvia and uh, stuff like that, you know. <laughs> I'm reading uh, the Robbie Robertson book right now. Ah. And uh, um, Dylan's just hooked up with... The Hawks, which turned their oh, self yeah. into being called the band, and uh, we're going through that period right now where Dylan would play half the show solo, and there would be all these folkies out there, yeah. and then the second half, the band would come out and back them up, and everybody started booing and stuff. Right. They weren't ready for that change. Oh, right, right, yes. You mean the, the audience? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, well, you know, uh, the a guy I was telling you about a few minutes ago, the uh, the photographer that that, that that shoots for us, John Rudolph, he was a teenager, and he, he shot. I, it's it's okay. And um, it's hey, we get at the coffee shop. We have, we have baristas coming in grinding coffee, so it's okay. <laughs> um, and when he was a teenager, he was at Newport when when uh, Dylan uh, went electric and got booed. He was there. He, he took oh, pictures. Oh man! <laughs> well, um, Mike was, Bloomfield yeah. uh, had played on the Dylan sessions at uh-huh. that time for Highway sixty one, and Dylan had asked him to go out on the road with him, and Bloomfield wouldn't do it because he feared for his life wow. because. Those first couple of shows yeah. that Dylan did, yeah. Electric, people were running up, jumping on the stage, trying to get at the, <laughs> the background musicians because they didn't want them there. Right. right. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've ever admitted this, but um, I didn't like it at first. It took me a while to, to, to get into well, it because I was mainly because of, of uh, uh, how Dylan was saying about politics and social issues. And, of course, uh, also at that time, I was a huge Phil Oaks fan and Pete Seeger. And it didn't seem, it didn't, what Dylan did didn't, didn't seem right to me, but, it, you know, I eventually changed no, my mind. <laughs> he wasn't real happy about it either. Well, I didn't know. You know that story about him trying to cut the power at Woodstock is not true. You know, I mean, I've heard, I mean, first of all, I would believe anything Pete Seeger said. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he explained the story that it was just, you know, it was, it was, um, uh, it, it was, the, the, the sound was um, distorting. Or what he thought was distorting anyway. <laughs> and he just wanted, he just wanted to go back and fix it. You know, it wasn't anything about what Dylan was playing, but he got stuck with that rap of trying to cut the music off. And he claims it's not true. And I believe Pete Seeger. But it's a great story. Eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. I always, I always like to hear uh, uh, Kate Power uh, and and uh, and Steve talk about uh, when they've been with with Pete Seeger. I, I like to hear anybody talk about uh, being with Pete Seeger. You know, it's like being with the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Hoot Nanny was a TV show. It was the first and only folk TV show uh, for pop folk, pretty much, you know, and uh, and he was barred from being on there because it was a ne- it was a network show because of oh, and yeah. Joan Baez stood up for it yes. and said, yeah, yeah. "I'm not going to play on Hoot Nanny if you're going right. to do that." Yeah, yeah. It was the same with the 
Smothers Brothers. They, they, I mean, he he did appear on Smothers Brothers. That was that was the big breakthrough, I believe. I did a piece on Mason Williams one time. There's a character for you. <laughs> There's a character for you. It was so <laughs> weird. I mean, he's he you know he has, he has so much history to talk about, but that's all he ever talks about. <laughs> Ask him a question, and somehow it always gets back to the, to the Smothers Brothers show, no matter what the question was. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why he always gravitates that way, because there's so much more yeah. to Mason Williams' life. Right, right. You know, stuff he did with Keezy. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's an artist, too. He's, yeah. He, yeah. He, he yeah. makes art. I know. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um. So, um, uh, where were we? Uh, we were talking about, uh, oh, oh, the other thing I wanted to, 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 to say was, uh, to ask you, it was, uh, so vinyl is a factor. Vinyl is a factor. And you've, you've had to, you've had to expand your vinyl, the room for vinyl here. For independent record stores in particular, yeah. vinyl is, uh, yeah. uh, becoming the main focus. Really? Uh, it really is. Wow. Um, I mean, it, 10 years ago, well, it's been almost 11 now, uh, when Record Store Day first started, uh, vinyl was under a half a percent of uh-huh. the national sales on physical goods. Uh-huh. And today it's probably around 15%. Wow. Um but for independent record stores, there's a lot of independent record stores out there that aren't even carrying CDs. Huh. Um, huh. We're still huh. selling quite a few CDs. Yeah, we're we're kind of half and half here. Oh, uh, we have a lot of older customers that really appreciate the CD. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it it's a good form of 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 music. Uh, but then there's vinyl and. I couldn't have been any happier than anyone to see vinyl make a comeback because vinyl is the best form of listening to music that a person can have out there. Yeah. If you have a great stereo system and you have a great piece of vinyl, even if it has a couple of pops in there, yeah. it really has this great from-the-soul sound. Yeah. To it. I mean, you yep. feel the warmth in the vinyl. Right. Um, if 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 vinyl is twelve inches of sound, CDs are ten inches of sound. Right. Because they get compressed a bit. Yep. So you lose a little bit on each end. Mm-hmm. And then if you listen mm-hmm. to digital, that's like less than an inch of sound right. because it's totally compressed. Yeah. Um, so, especially for the 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 younger audience who was listening to digital music, when they hear a piece of vinyl, it's it's a revelationary yeah. uh, thing yeah. to them because yeah. they're going, wow, that sounds so great. Yeah, yeah. So the the uh, cassette revival hasn't really taken hold, huh? Hey, cassettes <laughs> keep inching their way in there. There's only so many people out there buying cassettes, but we see new... Re- New releases coming out on cassette on a regular basis. Well, the now. problem is getting hardware. Yeah, we well, we we never used to carry hardware for cassettes. We never used to carry turntables in the seventies and eighties yeah. when yeah. when vinyl was king. Um, but we do carry turntables. But we have these little tiny portable cassette players uh-huh. 
and people come in and they're they're buying cassettes. We have used cassettes and new cassettes, but there's labels like Sub Pop in Seattle yeah. that's starting to put out every one of their releases <laughs> on cassette. You can now get Shin's catalog on cassette. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh man, you know it's funny to have gone to have lived through all these all these format changes. You know, I mean, I'm glad I never got rid of my vinyl. You know, did you ever have a real real player? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, matter of fact, when uh, I was uh, uh, my colleague and I were were doing one of the. Baltimore Orioles pregame shows on radio. Wow, uh, that's how we made the show. It was uh, it was sort of a TV show sound on radio. It was it was all field produced and cut with music and edited to death. And the stories were about three and a half minutes long, and uh, and it sounded like TV. And we did that all on reel to reel. And he edited that whole son of a bitch with a razor. Wow. I know. He was great. I mean, those, those people who could edit by literally cutting. I mean, cutting is a, is a, is a term that's still used, you know, for editing. But that, that's just used for editing because that's what people did. They actually cut the tape with a razor, and they knew how to do it. They did that in the recording studio, oh, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Sure, uh, sure. A lot of that was done in the yeah. 50s and 60s. Yeah. Yeah. One of my great benefactors in my career was a guy in Baltimore. Uh, who uh, who could cut out tracks in when the remember two inch big two inch tape? He could cut a track out of the middle of the tape. That that <laughs> really really takes something to yeah. be able to do that. There's yeah. not too many people that could do that very well. Yeah, yeah. It's just easy now. I mean, Jesus, nothing. <laughs> just, yeah. Just you know, it's, it's, it clicks, clicks, clicks away. I mean, it takes this. The skill is still in the ear, you know. Uh, because uh, you know it's it's like anything else. If you record garbage, you're gonna get garbage, you know. But uh, uh, if you start out with something good and you got somebody who really knows what they're doing, you make it better. Editors always make things better. Yeah. Except in writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, journalism has kind of went downhill in yes. recent time because yes. everybody thinks they're a journalist. And oh, right. That, right. You know, they're yeah. writing on the Internet all the time, and yeah. oh, I know. people are all reading it, and you don't know what to believe and what to believe. Right. And, and you know, that's that's one of the, the lost arts that um, was so important to my life. I mean, I, in, in the 70s, you, you read a good music magazine or you read a good news magazine, you knew that there was some... right effort put into that to yes. give you a comprehensive yeah. story yeah. Um, from both sides so right. you you knew what was going on when i first moved here i could sell a couple of op-ed pieces to the oregonian a month get for 50 bucks a piece that's a facebook post today yes <laughs> yeah Times are tough for writers. It, it is. It yeah. is. And it's not like we can go 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 get a gig, get, you know, go, go like like a musician can 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 go can go gig. Writers can't gig. No. <laughs> oh, you can go write, but you're not going to get paid for it. Well, that's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> the unfortunate thing. You know, that's the other thing Ford Motor Company did. They put the buggy wick business out of business. You know. <laughs> 
So what have you been listening to lately? Oh, what have I heard? You know, my probably my favorite album of the year is this new album by a guy named Anderson East. Uh-huh. It's his second record. It's on the Nonsuch label. And uh, um, he's got a real soulful voice. Uh-huh. And it's like an eight-piece band backing him up. Uh-huh. And there's some great songwriting and, and just great performances on the record. Um, so I think that's my my favorite of the year right now. Really? Hmm. What kind of music is it? Uh, oh, soulful singer-songwriter okay. kind of music. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you had a good singer-songwriter and you had a good eight-piece band with horns and keyboards and all that kind of stuff that that's the kind of way it is um so uh definitely a record to check out yeah good yeah i just put it uh, set together for my show tonight which is which will have aired by the time we this does this goes up of uh, tunes from black exploitation movies oh yeah i'd love to see a, i mean i'm i guess I guess Northwest Film Center's done it, but I don't remember uh, you know in, in, in anything in the in the near past of a black exploitation film festival. No, that, that that could be an interesting concept yeah. for them to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but um you know, I mean there's all kinds of stuff that that either people didn't know never knew about or totally forgotten about like Marvin Gaye's Trouble Man. I used to see those films in the early 70s. Um I it, I was up in Seattle for a little while, uh-huh. and we'd go to the drive-in movies, and <laughs> they would either have uh, uh, triple bill yeah. kung fu martial art films <laughs> or triple bill yeah. black exploitation films. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. They were great. I mean, the, the films weren't that good, but the music was always fabulous. Cause, oh, you know, the mu- music was really great. There's some, yeah. there's some good gems out there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, um so, what else are you listening to? Oh, well, for the last couple of weeks, I've been at the jazz festival, and I. Uh-huh. Um, what did you discover there? Um, I don't. You know, I didn't really have any major discoveries because I knew all the artists that yeah. I actually went to see. Yeah. But one one of the there was a lot of great performances, but one in particular that would that was really interesting for the festival was Lisa Fisher. And Lisa Fisher made an album in about 1990, ended up getting a Grammy Award for mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and then she really quit making records. Wow. And a lot of the world thought she had fell off the edge of the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, for the last 35 years, uh, she went to her next job, which was singing backup for the Rolling Stones. And she was featured in a documentary called 20 Feet from Stardom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, her show was not a jazz show, per se, Uh because she mixed world music influences with a tad bit of jazz, soul, and rock. Um, She actually did two Led Zeppelin songs. Really? Uh, She did rock and roll, and... (laughs) it's not the way Led Zeppelin did rock and roll, uh-huh. and but it was really, really amazing. Uh. Uh, Luciana Sosa uh, 
really dynamic performance at the festival. Uh-huh. She played as a trio, and she had played the festival, oh, probably eight to ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and she, she's got even that much better uh-huh. than she was before. Uh-huh. Um, there was uh, a Bill Frizzell duo show. Oh yeah, with Thomas Morgan. Yeah, and so yeah. it was just guitar and bass. Yeah, and um, the jazz festival has embraced Bill a lot because Bill sure. lives up in Seattle, uh-huh. and uh, Bill's always trying something I thought, new. I thought he moved. Now, I heard he moved. Did he go back to New York? I think he went back to New York. He yeah. he might have went back to New York. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Do you ever hear his story about his dream, his famous dream? No. I had, when I when I was doing. When I was still playing jazz on KMHD, I had an afternoon show, and he they, he came in and was a guest, and he had that album called Dreamers. Yes. Right? And so, you know, I mean, I never prepare for interviews or anything. I don't have any, but I just all of a sudden popped into my head to ask him, what do you dream about? And he told me about this amazing dream where he was, he was in an old house, and these these people took him upstairs, and they said, "Would you like to see what true color looks like?" And he goes, "Yeah." And so they show him like the primary colors as, as he's never seen them before, and then they go, "Would you like to hear what pure music sounds like?" And he says, "Yeah." And they played this stuff for him, right? And whatever it was, and it changed his whole life. Wow, I know. And so, and I didn't record it at that time. Uh, on 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 the radio, but I I, I did an inter- a, a, a phoner with him about a, year, a couple of years later, and I said, "Would you please repeat that story?" And I did, so we got it. I, I, you know, it's it, you know, it's on Oregon Music News. It's an amazing story. I mean, I don't really do it justice. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, oh, another record I'm listening to yeah. a lot that came out is this. Uh, singer-songwriter from Seattle, Brandy Carlisle's new album. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, uh, she just keeps making one great record after another. And uh, um, it's definitely one to, to check out. Uh, she has a, a good perspective on uh, life, and uh-huh. uh, it's, it's, it's one to listen to. Yeah. Every time I see her name, I think of... Uh, of uh, Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> that go-go's. Uh, completely different there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the go-go's were so, were so, were so cool. That, that was a fun band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, of course, I, I knew the drummer. She was from Baltimore. Gina, Gina Shock. Yeah. She was in uh, the in in the band. Um, uh, uh, she was in Edith Massey's band, the Egg Lady from Pink Flamingos. Edith, Edith and the Incredible Eggs. My, that was my. that was before uh, Gina moved to L.A. and hooked up with the, with the rest of the Go-Go's. <laughs> a record I'm looking forward to listening to, um, I haven't heard anything from it, is the new David Byrne that comes out on the 9th. Ah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I was on vacation when David Byrne tickets went on sale, and oh. I guess that show sold out just yes, like that. I guess. But um, it's always a great occasion to have... Uh, a new David Byrne record or performance in town. He spent a good portion of his young life in Baltimore. 
Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Went to college in Baltimore. I think he went to, might have gone to high school in Baltimore. Uh, yes, indeed. As a matter of fact, uh, I took his ex-girlfriend to see Don't uh, Stop Making Sense oh, when it came out. That, that, there's a good story for you. I went to New York. It didn't work out with us either. Oh, I went to New York to see a special performance of Lucinda Williams ah. when, when Car Wheels on a Gravel Road was getting ready to come out uh-huh. and was in a small place. It was like, you know, less than 300 people in the mm-hmm. room, but it was full. And afterwards, I was invited downstairs to meet Lucinda Williams. Wow. And standing in front of me was David Byrne waiting <laughs> to speak to Lucinda Williams. Yeah. And they had quite a conversation. I had to wait a while. <laughs> Did you hear any of it? I, I didn't really. No. Oh, too bad. <laughs> Did you ever get to go to CBGB's? I've been to CBGB's, yeah. but I wasn't there during its heyday uh-huh. um uh-huh. i mean those the 70s right. and into the early 80s yeah um yeah. that was that was a place to go you know it it, it re- reminds me a lot of a, a club we had here in portland satiricon yeah yeah um very much so yeah, i've been to both so I, I, you're, you're absolutely right <laughs> the bathrooms were about the same yeah you know the the, the space itself was about the same Dark, 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 you know, with graffiti on the wall. <laughs> I shot a story in the Mud Club in New York one time. Ah. That was a that was a, a more upscale version of the CBGBs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what were you doing during the punk era? Who were you during the punk era? Were you ever a punk? Was I ever a what? A punk. I was never a punk. Yeah. Um, when I got into music... Um, I really had no peer pressure, and I started listening to everything. Yeah. Uh, I didn't grow up listening to the radio. Right. And so when I was 16 and three quarters, I got a car, uh-huh. and I started listening to the radio. Yeah. And within months, I was working in a record store, and I ate up everything. I was, you know, I'd hear a country thing. I was buying Christofferson records and huh. uh, Waylon yeah. Jennings records. And buying African witchcraft records, yeah. and buying Uriah Heep records, yeah, yeah. it didn't matter what it was. I was all <laughs> over the place. So when the punk scene started happen, you know, there was kind of a line in the sand. Right, you were a punk or you weren't a punk. Right, but I was this right. guy that could go to a <laughs> punk show and then go to a jazz show. Yeah, yeah. and could go to a Billy Joel show <laughs> at the same time. You know, the punks didn't go to Billy Joel shows. No, they sure didn't. No. no, no. That's a little different now in, in yeah. today's time. Yeah. But back then, you know, you were a punk all the way. Yeah, well, but I was I was more, I was more like you. I mean, I was I was too old to be a punk. First of all, you had to be you yeah. had to be under 20 really uh to be a to, to be a true punk. And uh, I wasn't. I was in, I was closer to 30 than I was to 20 and um but you know, I used to go to the mask in in L.A. and, and when I lived out there, you know, and and uh, used to hang out with in punk clubs and all. You know, I knew a lot. I knew a lot of those people, and it was fun. I, I you know, I, I I supported what they were doing. I liked the loved the Ramones. Oh, the Ramones and, were great. I mean, yeah. the Ramones were technically a pop band. Yes, they yes. they did pop songs. They did right. them a little faster, a little right. harder. Right. Um, but you know, I, <laughs> well, I, hell, like a, Phil Spector produced them. Yeah. For, at least for one record, anyway. <laughs> but, you know, at that same time, you also got those 
arty punks too, like yes. the Talking Heads, yes, um, right. which came out of that whole CBGB scene yeah. too, and uh, um, you know there punk punk really started going in a lot of directions in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was there was different <laughs> punk scenes. You had the the UK scene, you had the New York scene, you had yeah. the LA scene, yeah. and they were all a bit different. But in their own scene, they right. they were pretty concentrated into right. to a sound. Yeah. But it, as time went on, uh, it kind of developed, and there was different mm-hmm. kinds of punk, just yeah. like there was yeah. different kinds of jazz and rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Devo. Oh, and Devo. That's, that's was, a whole different kind of punk. It's not what even the punk, but he was they were he, they were grouped in, in, in with those they, other bands. I mean, they were performance artists as well as, right. as being right. right performing artist <laughs> yes well you know really in in, in, a, in a way the ramones were too because they were they were like four jewish guys from long island they weren't they weren't italian no <laughs> <laughs> you know and those outfits they were they were you know they, i don't think they that's the way they I, I think those were costumes you know but boy i mean i, I remember seeing them and standing too close to this, to the uh, oh yeah, to, oh yeah, to the, to um, the speakers. <laughs> punk was usually played very, very loud. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I didn't get I, nobody spit on me, which was good. That's good <laughs> because that used to be a partial ritual for some punks. Yes, yeah. Well, the ones who were in, in the Sex Pistols, yeah, um, category. <laughs> I, did you ever see, get, get see the Sex Pistols? I never did. No, there, you know I have some friends in town that went down to San Francisco to yeah. see what became the last Sex Pistols show. Wasn't, wasn't there was only they only had one tour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think at the time uh, at that show, uh, a band called the Nuns opened up, uh-huh. which was Alejandro Escobedo's band. Really? And uh, <laughs> you know that actually the Nuns followed uh sid vicious to new york and was living in the chelsea hotel (laughs) when sid killed nancy oh man and uh um yeah there was a there was a point in time where all of a sudden the punk thing really tapered off oh Uh, yeah yeah um but there was a time when punk punk was called to action when you you take a band like the clash which was uh-huh. put in that category but the clash you know they they were so much more right. um you know they had they had great songs but there was a lot of depth in the lyrics and it it had to do with social issues and mm-hmm. different things of that nature i mean in a way uh the clash was probably closer to what Bob Dylan was doing in the sixties. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I did a TV story on Bo Diddley one time, and he was uh, when he opened for them in in DC. Oh wow! <laughs> Which was great. It was great that that you know that, that they had enough consciousness to to knew that to, to know that booking you know, that that um, uh, booking Bo Diddley as their opening act was like the coolest thing in the world. You know, I mean, really. Yeah. Uh, Bo Diddley, jeez. I played the, the the Super Blues Trio record on chess, the one with Bo Diddley, M- Muddy Waters, and Howlin' Wolf on the radio. Oh, that's a, a, gr- that's a great fun <laughs> album. A great album. <laughs> yeah. I never got to see Bo Diddley in the early days. Um, he did play through Portland a few times in, I'm sure. in his latter days. But those 
early Bo Diddley shows, you talk to people who've seen those things, and they were like a revelation. Yeah, yeah. So what, what what's your reading of the club scene now, these days? Um, you know, we have a pretty good club scene here. We, yeah. You know, I feel very fortunate being here at the store because I can leave the store and hit about 20 venues within 15 minutes of the store. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I couldn't do that in most cities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we keep getting more clubs. And I ac- actually heard the other day that, you know, the the people that were involved with Jimmy Max. Yes, that's, are, that's supposed to be close. They're, they're, they're close in doing something again. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, we we picked up the Jack London Review. Sure. And that's that's been a great place for... Uh, neo soul and jazz yep. and and things like that. Yeah. Did you see Liv Warfield when she played there? No, I didn't get to see that. Oh man, she's an amazing talent. She's just amazing. I mean, I did the first TV story on her. And, and she's got this new band with. Uh, oh uh, yeah, Nancy Wilson. Nancy Wilson. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. It's 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 part of 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 Heart. And some of the some of the people from Liv's band. It was supposed to play here in the fall. It right. Was, they were going right. to open for the Bob Seger tour. And then Bob Seger got but sick. That whole thing was canceled yeah. due to yeah. somebody having some kind of medical issue. I think it was Seger. It was probably Seger. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that their, their their album is terrific. Yeah, it really is. You know, jeez, you know, and and um, thing was, I talked to Liv about a year and a half ago before she got in before, before that happened. And she was exploring rock. And one of the people she was listening to was Betty Davis. Wow. I know, I know, I know. And and even though she is, like, completely different from Betty Davis, because Betty Davis was just raw. Yeah. Raw sexuality. I saw Betty Davis one time back in the, in, in the 70s. And it was a very rough, really rough venue. <laughs> and there were a lot of guys there with guns, right? Ooh. And she comes out. And they melted. They were in puddles on the floor. Oh, my. <laughs> I'll bet you that that's one of Miles Davis' wife that he did not, he did not beat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess. But anyway, Liv, uh, and, and, then, uh, and then, so Liv was, was, was absorbing all that, and here she comes with a rock band. My, my. <laughs> yep, no, it's definitely worth checking out. I hope the tour comes through, or I at least hope that band comes back through. Yes, me too. That would me be too. great. Yeah, uh, I saw I saw a post from uh, from Nancy the other day, uh, which said something like that they're starting to do heart tunes now. Oh, they're doing heart gigs again? Well, no, no, no. They're playing heart tunes on this band. Oh, with this band. That, yes. That, that could be interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I think there was a reason why they didn't, and I'm not sure what it was. But I know, uh, they had, I know, I know the sisters had a falling out. Yeah, the sisters had a falling out, yeah. and uh, um, that's how this band pretty pretty much got its beginning. Yeah. It was yeah. a motivation for uh, her to, to do something musical without her sister. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so so I, you know maybe that's some sort of breakthrough that uh, that I don't I don't know if it was Liv that wasn't comfortable doing hard tunes or Nancy wasn't comfortable having somebody else you know singing whether or I mean, I, I'm not sure what the what the factor was but the, but the the, the point well, if is if you got Liv singing in your band you can do about you, anything you can do anything <laughs> you can do anything that show at Jack London was I mean it was her 
and Saida and uh, Ashley and her guitar player. That was it. Wow. It was absolutely amazing. They had it was they had to add a second show the the next night. Luckily, the the first show was on a Sunday, and of course they didn't have anything booked for Monday, and they just put a second show and sold out. That's great. Happy, I'm very right. happy, very happy for for Liv. She's a special person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we could go on, <laughs> uh, but uh, happy forty ninth. Well, thank you. And uh, if you're in the area, pop on in. Oh, one more thing I just wanted to, I, I wanted to mention. Are, you are no longer running the Oregon Music Hall of Fame, correct? No, I, I retired from the board and yeah. from the presidency in the fall of 2016. Um, but that didn't keep me away from helping them all this last year yeah I, I worked a lot with the induction ceremony and with the inductees getting ready to go into the induction ceremony and somehow in the month of december at a board meeting they have made me an honorary honorary lifetime board member <laughs> so i was at a board meeting the other night um the week after next i'll be going through scholarship applications to pick our scholarship recipients this this next year so i'm still very active with the oregon music every Hall time you try to get out they reel you <laughs> back in <laughs> all right man well good luck with that uh we've been talking to uh, you know to, to the board about uh, having y'all in the in the uh in the booth at the at the blues festival oh, that'd sharing be the booth great. With us this year yeah that'd the blues really festival good. that's that's something that's going to oh, be yeah. different this year because yeah, yeah. the Oregon Food Bank is not involved in it. I know. I know. I, it, I, that has its pluses and minuses, I'm sure. Uh, it does. I mean, one of the, the reasons for the success of the Blues Festival is the music in general. One is the setting being down on the yep. the waterfront. It's one of the most beautiful settings for a festival that you could have anywhere in the country. Right. But one of the other things why it was successful was it was a reason for our community to get together and help people that were hungry right. and needed food, and everybody worked as a community and came down and brought canned food and yep. money, yep. and it all went to the Oregon Food Bank. Yep. And that's an element that's going to be missing, so... It'll be interesting. Well, I, th- I thought they were still going to get be, be recipients of. of uh, yeah, that that th- will be there. Yeah, but yeah. but they're um, not running things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it's an it's interesting, and I haven't talked to Peter about this, but the festival starts on the Fourth of July this year, which yeah. is a Wednesday. Yeah, but it goes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, and there's no Sunday. Uh-huh. And they've always done both weekend days, right. whether they've been on the front end or the back end. Yeah. So, um, well, one thing I know, I get to sleep in that Sunday from working the Blues <laughs> Festival for four days. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. See you around.